What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine. All right. How is it? It's all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's not really delicious, like a pint from Beer 52. Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or an innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership. So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight. That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available. So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free. Poor me. Poor me. Pour me another glass from Beer 52. Cheers. Cheers. Hello and welcome back to the Project Zeus Files, a patron-exclusive series from Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. I'm Rob Graham and I'm joined, as always, by Tom Harrison. Hello. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing good, thank you. Enjoying being back for number three of this sort of mini-series now, which we're having quite a lot of fun with, so looking forward to diving into a new one. Yeah, well, we're, we're recording this. We'll, we'll let you into a little trade secret that we're recording this one. <laughs> minutes pure minutes after finishing episode two um so we're uh, we're, we're so keeping much going fun. whilst <laughs> oh well i was i was gonna keep going while whilst the energy's still there and whilst we're uh <laughs> whilst everything's still plugged in let's keep going um but yeah i completely agree They're, they've been a lot of fun we we talked about it i say last week we talked about it 25 minutes ago <laughs> um about like these like shorter format episodes are, walk, uh, are sort of working quite well. Um, so yeah, this week's um, something going to be a little bit different. Like last week, I think got pretty deep with the the biggest bastard and the discussions around sort of psychopathy and like Mark being a sociopath and all of this sort of stuff. So I thought we'd go for something a little bit lighter this week. So today we're going to be discussing the love rivals that Mark encounters, vanquishes, and ultimately succumbs to throughout Peep Show. Um, Mark's not someone who would be described as an alpha in any sense of the word, yet he manages to gain a fair few notches on his bedpost throughout the show. Like Before we started recording, whilst I was just sort of waiting for Tom, I was trying to calculate how many people Mark had slept with. I think I, think I counted six. Yeah, that- Sounds about right, I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. For someone who's about as far away from sort of Casanova as you can get, he um, he does all right, you know, in a weird kind of way. I mean, some of them are disastrous, but um, yeah, notches on the bedpost, as you put it. What's what's cracking me up is um, and this is only something that Tom and I will be able to see, but on our notes, 
I've written, I think I counted six, and then underneath the names I've listed are <laughs> the love rivals rather than the people he slept with. So I've put Mark sleeps with these people, and then it says Jeff, Gerard, Angus, Simon, Jez. So it's um, <laughs> they're not the people he slept with. But I was trying to work out, yeah, I think a lot of the people he sleeps with don't really have a rival attached to them in the in the sense of like he sleeps with Valerie, and that's obviously like a bit of a I say a free hit, but like I mean in the sense of like he's not competing with somebody for Valerie's affections, maybe than other like a fellow sixth former. Um, and um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else within that mix that he doesn't really have to contend with anybody else. I think that might be it. I think that might be. Like obviously we're not counting the fact that he got sexually assaulted by Natalie as amongst the people that he sleeps with. Um, but I don't think there's anyone else within within the list that he has to compete with, um, that he doesn't have to compete with directly as as such. Um, yeah, so yeah, maybe So maybe the best way of, of breaking it down was to go chronologically. So if we start off with Jeff, because obviously he's the initial sort of love rival that we have for, for Sophie... Um, what are your thoughts on on Jeff as a as a rival to Mark? Yeah, I think just before we get into Jeff specifically, I was I was thinking about this before we started, and you look at the names like like you say you've listed them there, and the rivalries that Mark has with these men, all of these men are very very different, which of course means that the rivalry is kind of fought on a different battleground. So I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about this actually, and I think. To start with Jeff, I mean, Jeff's just like a, a bloke bloke, isn't he? He's the sort of guy that you'd see in countless pubs, like, up and down the country. Bit of a... Not it's like not like Jack the Lad sort of thing, but it certainly likes to think of himself as one, but actually he's just a bit of an asshole. And so I think Jeff is the one who's most different to Mark, which makes it particularly interesting because they're both competing for Sophie and Sophie seems to be attracted to both of them even though they like I say they kind of couldn't be further apart I I really like Jeff as a character like I've talked about it numerous times on the podcast like he's a bastard but actually the only reason he's doing these things is because he knows it gets under Mark's skin like he is he doesn't really do anything too bad like he's not, he's not like like vindictive or horrible towards Mark. He, the only person I think he's really properly horrible to is um, Dobby. Much much later on, but I think like there's nothing really wrong about about Jeff. Like I do completely get what you're saying. Like how Sophie is interested in Mark, but also in Jeff. Is, is is more of a reflection on Sophie possibly than than either of the male characters, I think, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um and I think obviously when Mark reads her emails, she she talks about the pros and cons of each like each character. So she does talk about why um why she likes Jeff um and, and why she likes Mark. Um I think, yeah, I think yeah, I just think I think Jeff has a lot of the qualities that Mark is missing and, and vice versa. So I guess perhaps if you could you know, merge 
Jeff and Mark into one person, then maybe they would be kind of Sophie's dream man. I don't know. But Jeff certainly has a lot of confidence, which is certainly something that Mark lacks. Jeff is like a bit more normal than Mark. But then that also comes with the fact that he is... You say that there's nothing really wrong with Jeff, but I, I would definitely describe Jeff as an asshole, And he does like to rub things in Mark's face because he knows it will get a rise, which I know you touched on. He also cheats on Sophie, we've got to remember. So he's definitely got that in him. Um, but, yeah, Mark, on the other hand, is... You can sort of perhaps rely on Mark a little bit more. That's the impression that Sophie has of him. So they're, they're fighting, you know, slightly different battles, um, you know, ticking different boxes for Sophie. Um, and it's interesting how they kind of view each other. They're very aware of the fact that they're competing for Sophie. And Sophie goes back and forth between the two, which is particularly interesting because that's something we don't see with the, the other rivalries. I think one of the things with Jeff is considering, apart from the principal two characters and then Sophie and Johnson, Jeff is probably then in the most episodes, isn't he? Maybe him and Dobby are in roughly the same amount of episodes. Mm. Yet he's not a particularly well-developed character in terms of we still don't know much about Jeff other than the fact that he's a wind-up merchant, other than the fact he's a bit of a blokey bloke, other than the fact that he... He, he has it in for Mark and he wants to sort of get under Mark's skin. I don't think we know too much about him in terms of anything else. And I think, like, I don't really want to do Jeff too much of a disservice. Obviously, <laughs> he he cheats on he cheats on Sophie. So that's a massive, like, nail in his coffin in terms of the end of the relationship. But plenty of people cheat on their partners. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Just for that reason doesn't make him um, completely incompatible. And I think he seems to treat Sophie like reasonably well. He's a little bit like probably now in today's like 2021 like woke culture. He's maybe slightly sort of like misogynistic and like. Yeah, but... I would say so. And he's very crass as well, which is something that Mark very much isn't. But he's not crass in front of Sophie. He's crass to Mark's face. He's not crass, like... He's not derogatory about Sophie. He just does little things that are a little bit probably on the verge. Mm. Um, but all the things that he does, even when, like... I'm presuming, like, the stuff when you're, like, talking about being crass is, like, oh, such and such from, from marketing, would you suck him off? Like, go and get me some Johnny's, Mark, and all that sort of stuff. Like, that's all stuff to mm, get under Mark's skin. Yeah. That's not, like... Uh, he's doing that on purpose. Um, I don't think either of them are a, the right fit for Sophie. I don't think that Mark, we talked about this on the opening episode of this Project Zeus Files series, Like, I don't think Mark and Sophie have anything in common other than just social convention, meaning that they should be together. Um, but I also don't think that Jeff has got the sort of settled way of living that that Sophie would necessarily want going forward. Like we know she has these tendencies to like go out and pop a few pills and get drunk and whatever. But I just think long term, I don't know whether Jeff would be the right fit for her either. But I, I, I don't want to leave Jeff as a discussion point thinking that we 
or I think that he's a bad guy. Because actually, I think, like, <laughs> to a lot of, like, to a lot of people, I'd say that probably Jeff is a nicer guy than Mark. He's definitely not as sociopathic as Mark. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Wow, you're really fighting Jeff's corner, aren't you? <laughs> um, I think the thing with Jeff is that he's like, you talked earlier about how Mark wasn't an alpha, whereas Jeff is. Like, Jeff, the amount of times where he kind of just, like, steals Sophie away and just kind of, like, takes her. And she admits that, you know, I think a lot of women do like the sort of, you know, confident man or whatever. Um, and I think even though Jeff is a bit of a bastard, he's kind of got that, about him, I think he goes a bit too far, um, but I can see why, you know, a lot of women kind of like bastardy end up with bastardy men, don't they? So that is certainly no surprise that she ends up going back to to Jeff. But I think he he gets one over on Mark so often, um, so he's definitely sort of the dominant one, and Mark has to kind of be a bit sneakier and kind of make Jeff look like a fool whenever he can and Mark takes great pleasure in you know Jeff you know they give as good as they get but the pair of them so it's a fascinating rivalry particularly as I mentioned earlier you know Sophie bounces back and forth between the pair of them over the you know the course of the first three or four series and I do wonder how much of an alpha like Jeff is just a normal bloke like I think like you said you meet a dozen of him at the pub on a Friday night like He's nothing mm. out of the ordinary in terms of, like, in comparison to, I'm thinking of, like, I know not in personality, but in, like, stature, someone like Stu, when he appears, you're like, blimey, like, he's a proper, like, <laughs> stacked, like, hunk of monk, as, as Suze puts it. Whereas Jeff's just standard. I just think he comes across as being slightly more alpha because Mark is so to the contrary yeah but but you know Jeff's up for a scrap like if push comes to shove whereas Mark isn't like Jeff could definitely like physically dominate Mark no question well Jeff headbutts him doesn't he yeah yeah case in point anyway we are we're nearly halfway through our allotted uh, 30 minutes for this episode <laughs> and we've only discussed one of the rivals so moving on chronologically if my calculations are correct we we move a fair way forward it's like jeff is the predominant love rival for almost the first four series um and then we are treated to series five we're treated to the sickly prince gerard so I don't think he's anywhere near as much of a rival for Dobby as as Jeff is for Sophie, if you know what I mean. Like, Gerard is Mark if Mark allowed himself to be free. Yeah, I think what I like about, you know, going from the Jeff rivalry to the Gerard one is that Mark is suddenly finds himself being like the alpha. Mark somehow is the you know, has got more going for him. But at the same time, we've talked about it at length, Gerard is kind of more comfortable in his own skin, which is something that I think goes a long way um, for for Dobby because she is also like that. Um, So it's a fascinating one. The Gerard and Mark one, it's a bit... Because Gerard is much more similar to Mark, they kind of, like, they use the same tactics, don't they? That they're much more sneaky and um, you know they go on back on each on their word and lie and scheme a bit more, whereas Jeff's a bit more straightforward. 
Yeah, and, and that, I think, comes from not being the, the alphas and having to outwit your opponents as opposed yeah. to outfight them. Um, yeah. And yeah. I just think that, like, Gerard is a much better fit for Dobby than Mark is. <laughs> I think he just... If, if Gerard had any level of... Um, not even level of chat, because I don't think it's about chat necessarily. I don't think it's about the ability to flirt. But I think... He, for all his being comfortable in his own skin and all of that sort of stuff, he doesn't have something that Mark has, which is just the ability to even communicate with women. Because Mark, however badly he, on the whole, talks to women, he, he, he's he got slightly more than Gerard has. Yeah, and I mean, he has experience. I think you were mentioning, you know, actually, when you sit down and think about it, Mark does sleep with quite a few women, has like relationships of varying degrees with women whereas i think gerard mentions when they're in the sort of the cyberman shop that i think it was only recently that he'd been with a woman so he clearly doesn't have that experience of being in relationships talking to women flirting whatever and you know to say that mark like totally dominates him on that sort of that side of things is unusual because mark very rarely beats anyone in that sort of top trumps category um but in this instance he does um but i agree gerard probably a bit more similar to dobby in the the fact that they're perhaps their temperament slightly and the fact that they're more comfortable in their their own skin but if if gerard had the confidence um he would probably be you know more likely to come come out on top and of course like being alive um would help as well (laughs) and i we talked about this, and I, I can't remember what episode it was, but we never really established whether Dobby is interested in Gerard, whether the feelings are reciprocated. Like, she goes out on an initial date with him, but then she makes plenty of remarks about when they're playing the fantasy war quest at Mark's flat and, like, refers to Gerard as a gooseberry. She's very quick to jump ship to Mark when Mark goes and ousts Gerard from their date um, wherever, wherever they're they're having that that weird sort of date where Mark takes the baby, like I think that's a really key point. Is like Gerard undoubtedly I think was a better match for Dobby than Mark was, but I don't think Dobby ever saw Gerard in that way. Yeah, I think Mark actually. I mean, he in fact he he wins that battle with Jeff, right? Like, sort of because he's the one that ends up marrying her as bad as um, that goes with Sophie and obviously Jeff then does come back in later series doesn't he and gets together with Sophie again sort of on and off but um, Mark kind of comes out on top where it kind of mattered most it's only kind of when Mark is totally done with Sophie realising how bad that relationship is that Jeff kind of comes back in and Mark kind of dominates it's more convincing it's not as you know, there's a real back and forth with his battle with Jeff, whereas with Gerard, Mark quite comfortably comes out on top fairly early. And while there's always that sort of, you know, Gerard's kind of doing things in the background, trying to like scheme and win around, I don't think there's any real danger of like any realistic chance of that happening. And it's more in Mark's head because he knows that that's what Gerard's doing because that's what that's what he'd be doing. Um, I think there's always that worry, but actually, yeah, I think you're right. Dobby kind of, you know, 
pigeonholes Gerard, puts him in the friend zone pretty early on. And when they do, she did agree to go on a date with him. She actively says, you know, I'm just going date crazy, you know, date here, date there. She's kind of just saying, not saying like yes to anybody because that might sound bad, but, you know, she knows Gerard, they're friends. Yeah, why not? Like, let's just see what happens. She was in that kind of place where many people are sort of in their 20s or early 30s. Um, so it's not really a surprise, but she quite quickly picks Mark. Um, so he comes out on top. Yeah, and I think the fact that Gerard is slowly sort of degenerating. <laughs> Wasting is, away. Is, yeah. <laughs> is certainly like, he, he him becoming weaker and weaker is is definitely aiding Mark. Mark doesn't really have to do anything as, as Gerard. Even like at the end of Series 7 where they have that party. Is it end of Series 7 or the end of Series 6? where they have the party and, and Dobby has to take Gerard home. And even then, Mark is worrying that Gerard is going to, like, jump him. And you're like, he's he's clearly a very, very unwell man. Like, he is no sexual threat to you. I really wouldn't worry about it. And he's also not in any fit state to to really undermine Mark, like, to, to put bad words in Dobby's ear about Mark. Like, no. Dobby... He's, yeah, Dobby Mark's sees all the bad things that Mark does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that instance with the party, like, Mark's plan, as horrible as it is, totally works. He, like, incapacitates, like, through Jez, completely incapacitates Gerard, so he's in no fit state to kind of make a move. But, you know, it's Mark's paranoia that thinks, even then, you know, if they share a taxi, then for some reason, you know, they would, they would get together somehow, which I don't think anyone... And in the audience, I don't think Dobby thinks there's any real chance of that happening. But what's funny is that, you know, Mark comes out on top, but ultimately it's when Gerard dies that, you know, that's the biggest thing he, you know, does to that break them up. Because, of course, from there, Dobby changes their outlook on life. And that's when things, you know, through Series 8 begin to, to crumble. Um, so you could argue that kind of, maybe Gerard in some I think Mark says like he's shitting on him from heaven which seems very fitting <laughs> yeah and actually yeah he he causes more damage to Mark's relationship from a box than he does yeah um ever he's much more of a rival to him or a not a rival so much as a um a sort of an adversary or is that just a synonym for for a rival yeah. I'm trying to think well like the right word like he's he's more of a hindrance to Mark's relationship when he's dead than he ever was when he was alive yeah yeah completely so let's move on from dead Gerard um and to really we've got we've we we could touch on Simon I'm conscious of time um I think Simon never really establishes himself as much of a rival, although he he arguably does more to try and win Dobby back than Gerard ever does. Like he he makes several plays for her, whilst Mark is 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 in a relationship with her. But I don't think ever really it sort of fizzles out, doesn't it? Once once we've had the paintballing episode, that sort of is the end of his play for Dobby. Yeah, I think Simon arrives a little bit too late, and I think Mark's kind of got his hooks in. Dobby at that point because there's there's talk of you know moving in which obviously doesn't happen but they're in quite a decent place at, at that point I mean it's not all perfect by any means but there's talk of you know she's seriously considering moving in with Mark by that stage so I don't think and she's had a you know a, a bad experience with Simon before like he broke up with her so I don't think she 
you know, fancies chancing it on someone who's let her down before um, compared to, you know, her current relationship. But Simon certainly, he's an interesting one because he's kind of the most normal and he's quite cool and trendy and younger than Mark, cooler, probably, you know, better job and has far more probably in common with Dobby. The way way that they sync up on that music game is is pretty interesting, whereas Mark fails so spectacularly. Um, But Mark makes up for it in other areas, I guess. Um, So I think Mark's already kind of in a position of um, dominance, I guess, over Simon when he kind of throws his hat in the ring. So ultimately, yeah, the, the threat doesn't last too long. One of the few rivals that he really, really vanquishes, like, properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's move on to, really, our, our final main candidate in terms of the rivals, which is Angus. Now, obviously, with Angus, in terms of Mark's initial play for April, which is way back in Series 2, um, <laughs> there isn't really a rival for that. Like, he, he, he gets where he wants to or doesn't get to where he wants to with, with April, um, and then that's put on the back burner. But then by the time we come to series nine, I think Angus is a bit of an unwitting rival because Angus doesn't realise that Mark is sleeping with his wife. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah, it's a, they're, they're fighting. Well, yeah, one side isn't really even fighting the battle. It is purely Mark trying to undermine Angus at every turn, but he's kind of blissfully unaware and kind of, scoring own goals in his relationship with April and kind of you know providing openings for Mark which he takes on numerous occasions um but kind of still has enough about his relationship I mean obviously they're married which is a huge difference when we compare to the other relationships that Mark is battling for um so I think the deck is heavily stacked in Angus's favor but Mark certainly puts up a good fight yeah, and I think, and I think possibly Angus even mentions this. Like, he sort of does the um, sort of the intellectual stuff with April and the the highbrow stuff with April as a married couple, and then Mark always almost takes care of the the sort of stuff that Angus doesn't deem worthy, like the mole mapping and and those sorts of things. And I think Angus is aware that Mark is doing it. And I don't think he really has too much of an issue. It's almost like for that for that brief period, Mark is almost like the third person in that marriage. But Angus doesn't realise that Mark is also like making a play for her and kissing her. And I mean, ultimately, I think when he sleeps with April, she's decided that she's going away without without Angus anyway. So I could sort of justify the fact that she feels like they've broken up as to why she's then slept with Mark. Um, but I think this rivals rivalries, like I said, a really interesting one because it's not they're not competing. Angus has got his wife; like he is the winner, he is the victor. Mark is fighting a battle against an immovable object, effectively. And there are several points in series nine where he feels like he's won, and he feels like he's done things to undermine Angus. And and like you said, Angus is scoring own goals by making stupid comments and and digging up things from the past and and whatever else, but actually Mark is the one doing all of the attacking and Angus is sort of unwittingly not even really defending them. He just... (laughs) He's completely unaware that everything's going on. 
So mm. I don't know whether we yeah, can class I think... him as a rival. Uh, no, perhaps not really. Yeah, because he's he's a you know an unknowing one. Um, but I think you know he's clearly done years and years of groundwork with um, April, where they have this relationship and they've got married and everything. So he's very comfortable in their marriage, um, and just you know trusts April that she won't sleep with Mark or kiss Mark, and and ultimately she does. So, I mean, that's no real. I mean, yeah, Angus kind of screws up and, and does things. Obviously, there's the infidelity back in Greece, but, you know, they seem to have moved on from that and agreed, you know, OK, we're going to give it another try. Um, so other than that, in the kind of post-Corfu, or was it was it Corfu? Or Crete. Crete, that's it. Um, yeah, the, post, the post-Greece the um, post incident. Um, Angus doesn't really do all that much wrong really. I mean, he makes a prat of himself a bit and, you know, doesn't do all the things that April likes, but is that enough to, like, you know, sink an entire marriage? Probably not. Um, but Mark's going to give it a good go. Um, but, like, on so many occasions, Mark ends up in an attempt to try and undermine Angus. He does all these things to kind of make April happy, but these are things that Mark wouldn't normally be doing. They don't make him happy, really, like going mole mapping and doing cocaine and stuff like if mark and april ended up together that 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 wouldn't be their life um but he thinks you know that's an ian i'm gonna try it no and ultimately like and we haven't really discussed this as we've gone through but mark changes his personality for each of these people and actually the the various rivals we've discussed don't really alter their personality at all in order to attract the person that they are the rival four if you know what i mean so Mm. like jeff jeff doesn't act up in order to get sophie like he is that way all the time he winds up mark but he doesn't change his personality around sophie um and in the same way gerard is entirely himself around dobby and angus is entirely himself around april mark is the one who's having to alter his personality quite substantially in order to to get anywhere with them um and like you said Mark wouldn't be able to continue living that life of snorting lines and throwing his iPad out the window and running to Thornton Heath and whatever else he said he was going to do <laughs> and having sex in, in toilets. Like, that's not Mark's lifestyle. And I think that Angus and April have such a... That like, they're just one of those marriages that I think they would never actually get divorced because they've got a, a marriage of the mind as much as a physical, like love love filled marriage like they are two intellectual people who have connected on quite a deep level i'd imagine judging from the sort of short snippets of their um dialogue that we get at the dinner party like they've got quite a deep level of understanding with each other and actually the only time that april really contemplates leaving him is when they send that false text saying that he's not going on the cruise and he's doing a runner yeah um, and that sent that's sent by Jez. Mm. So I think it's important to know that as well, that Angus has already done like one of the worst things, arguably the worst thing he could do. And that is cheat on April. He's already done that and they're still together. So it's going to take a huge amount from Mark to derail that and convince her to actually leave her marriage. And I think yeah, what, what's Angus going to have to do to kind of really get that to break up? And I think, you know, you talked, you know, April and Mark do sleep together. 
And if Angus found out, you know, really equals equals if they've both <laughs> cheated like i think it'd be pretty rich from angus to be like oh okay you know oh no you've crossed the line there which is i mean that's the the dodgy ground you get into with any sort of infidelity isn't it, it kind of corrupts the relationship but in this instance april has has forgiven him i think there's definitely some bitterness there like when it comes up like she's clearly not you know over it like I don't think you know anyone would really get over sort of that sort of betrayal but she's chosen to sort of accept it for what it was move on and give her marriage another chance so I think it I mean it's certainly no surprise that Mark even though we think he's getting close ultimately he's gonna lose that battle yeah and we've we've we talked about this obviously I think you'll be hearing this episode before you hear the episode that we did with with uh, Angus Wright and Catherine Shepherd about it but I think they both talked about the fact that I think their marriage is stronger than anything that Mark's attempts can throw at them almost. And that I think they probably would have continued going off into into their future relatively unscathed. And it's just another blip. If, I, if Angus ever found out about Mark, that's it. Like, we don't know whether actually she would ever have revealed that. Um, but shall we, like, Tom and I at the beginning talked about uh, to whether we discuss Jez as a as a rival for Mark. And I think it's fair that we give him a brief sort of like 30 seconds because he doesn't really present himself as a rival at any point. I think that's quite clear. Like, although he sleeps with some of the same women that Mark sleeps with, or two of the same women that Mark sleeps with, there aren't really any times where they're fighting over the same person in quite a way. They're not the rivals for each other. Like, they both sleep with Sophie, but at no point... Are they, like, Jez is, is a one-night stand, drunken, like, mistake. That that wasn't a rival. Like, there was no point at which he was ever really a rival for her um, in the same way that, like, Tony at the beginning. I know the episode is called Warring Factions, um, but I don't think really they're... That doesn't go on for long enough because by the end of the first episode, Mark's moved on and he's fully uh, battling for Sophie. Um, I suppose the only other one, really, Callie, absolutely not. The only other one, really, I suppose, is Dobby. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the... I wouldn't call Jez a love rival, other than the instance with Dobby. I think they, they kind of do compete for the series of the same woman. You mentioned Tony and Callie. There's... Um, uh, Suze comes up like very briefly so there are those instances but I think yeah Dobby's the only one where you would classify them as a as a love rival and then even then because Jez throws his hat in the ring so late and we have no idea of how Dobby feels about Jeremy there's never really that uh, like an interaction between them those two on that kind of romantic level so they don't really they're not even really rivals because that like the competition gets going so late when you know the fires are already burning and Dobby's kind of had enough of Mark and is you know contemplating leaving the country. Yeah, and it would be interesting to know if Jez had come in earlier with his affections for Dobby because he like establishes them early on he establishes them in the love bunker episode doesn't he is where hmm. we first really realize that he's in love with her if he'd come out and said it then 
how much difference because at that point Dobby was swaying wasn't she and she yeah. was like she was trying to find out what Mark was really like so it would be interesting to know how much of a difference that would have made um, but again we, we talked last week about how it's a fictional show so some of these sort of conversations <laughs> are, are slightly yeah, redundant I, I think with um, I think with Jeremy like that the rivalry is just fun to see from time to time they just they kind of throw it up like you know, they sprinkle it through the show where they end up competing for someone. And I think it's just, it's good because they have such different styles, don't they? You've got Mark who's, you know, crippled with self-doubt and self-loathing and no confidence at all, but kind of, you know, he has his props, you know, where he's got the British Museum magazine under his arm and things like that. Whereas Jeremy will, you know, go to lunch with someone and tell them that he loves them after 10 minutes. So it's just the different styles make it very entertaining when they end up sort of rivaling for for a lady um so it's more more fun than anything else yeah and i think yeah i think that's really really key um and i think sort of just to wrap up because i am i'm aware that we're we're sailing towards a a solid nearly 40 minutes of talking Mm -hmm. which uh um you're you're going over the agreed time slot um (laughs) uh is that actually like when you break it down to the three main people being um, Jeff, Gerard, and Angus. Jeff is what Mark, like what Mark feels he should be. He feels he should be the alpha. Gerard is what he is doing everything he can to avoid being, but is actually probably closer to his true self. And Angus is what Mark sort of wishes he was. Mm. Like I think when you when you break it down into those three sort of key points, like all of them have aspects of what Mark either is is hiding from or um wants to be like i think that's that's why the women are also different but actually all the rivals are relatively like little snippets of mark but that's maybe that's that's maybe opening up a can of worms that we can we can delve into on a, on another day mm. uh, I, yeah i think that's the the perfect way to wrap up the episode to be honest i think yeah multiple nails being hit on multiple heads or whatever i think yeah you've, you've summed it up perfectly I, yeah i completely agree with that perfect well there we have it i'm i'm, I'm glad i i aim to please <laughs> um but yeah um thank you for listening to this episode it's been it's been a pleasure like i said um if you do want to get in touch with us then uh hit us up on patreon uh give us a little thumbs up um when you've listened to the episode let us know what you thought of it we're we're happy to receive any sort of sort of critiques, anything good, anything bad, anything you want to hear coming up in the future, any ideas you've got for some of these Project Zeus Files episodes. Um, and do make sure that you sort of share these episodes uh, with your friends. It'd be great to have some more guys on board, um, more ears to, to listen to the podcast, the better. Um, so thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for joining me, Tom. He was the only real rival, but look what's happened to Gerard. This is what I do to rivals. I put my rivals in the ground. <laughs> <laughs>